Are you all right? I think so. What was it? I'm not sure. But it was well trained in the Jedi arts. My guess is it was after the Queen. What are we going to do about it? We should be patient. Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hi. You're a Jedi too? Pleased to meet you. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Leclerc and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 281, Top 5 The Phantom Menace Moments. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the kitster to my wald, we have Carl LeClaire. This is so wizard, Annie. I'm sure you'll do it this time. I know you can. <laughs> oh my god, there is nothing more joy-filling in the world than a episode dedicated to the Phantom Menace, Jason. Oh my goodness. It has been too long since we have done this. Oh, listen to that music. If you can tell, I think Jason and I are quite excited to be talking about our favorite phantom menace moments oh yes oh yes this is this has been a long time coming and we're so excited (laughs) well that's the thing when we did you know we did for force awakens then rogue one and now last jedi you know our top five moments from those films and i'm like we were talking about this and it's like wait a minute we've never done our top five moments from the other films we've done like top five favorite prequel moments top five favorite original moments but never directly into the films i'm like jason we got to go back to Phantom Menace and start where every saga has a beginning. Right. Right, exactly. And we, we do that as little children with a big, giant, scary shadow that looks like Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, I am... That's uh, a reference to the poster. Oh, that's, such a, <laughs> that's such a good poster, too. I loved that poster. Um, good poster. But, uh, yeah, so that is, of course, what we're going to be doing in this episode. Jason, I know it's just so exciting to be talking Phantom Menace moments. I mean, nothing like doing our top five. But before we get into those moments from Phantom Menace, we do have some poll results from our last episode where we asked all of you, our wonderful listeners and Larians, what your favorite musical moment was in Return of the Jedi. Jason. What did our good, faithful, wonderful, amazing Larians have to say? Well, um, as with all of these musical moments polls, there is a huge breadth of answers that we have. So uh, in sixth place, with one vote each, we have the Ewok helmet drums. Uh, Lapty Neck got a vote. The shield is down! Um, that moment. Uh, the Luke and Leia brother-sister uh, moment on the Ewok uh, catwalks there and Vader's arrival at the beginning of the movie all got one vote uh, in fifth place with two votes each 
Uh, we have the Emperor's theme, Emperor's throne room. Um, I kind of combined those two answers. Um, the passing of Vader, particularly particularly with the harp playing the Imperial March. Oh, yeah, it's such a and beautiful then, rendition of that, by the by. Oh, it's amazing. And then um, the Rebel fleet uh, and coming out of hyperspace over Endor. And that's where my vote went. Oh, uh, oh you mean... Um, I think it's this one. This is right, right? I love this. I love this piece because it it's builds up the anticipation and the tension and the excitement and it's just fun action music. So oh, yeah. And then it builds again right here. Oh, so oh. good. It's amazing. So I, I love this piece of music, and I am a little disappointed that it didn't get higher on the list, but I have to, I have to vote for it. That's fair. So, um, let's see. In fourth place with three votes, we have uh, the Funeral Pyre as Luke Burns Anakin um, and the Victory Celebration track, which Great is stuff. one of the best additions to the... Um, the special editions, in my opinion. Um, let's see. In third place, with four votes. Now, this was a little funny to me. We got Yubnub. People love Yubnub. I mean, it's a fun little song. Yeah, but it is. I I can't really picture how it works in the movie because I grew up with Victory Celebration, and so I mean, I love the song. It's a fun little song. I, it just doesn't seem to fit in my opinion, but I'm not going to take that away from everybody else. Obviously people love it. It's number yeah. th- it's third place in our poll here. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. I, I sadly don't have it on this version of my computer, so I can't pull it up. But yeah, I, I love Yubnub. I mean, it was the first one I heard, but I'm with you and, and other folks pointed this out as well. Like to me, my favorite change ever in all of like the special editions, Blu-rays, any of the updates George made, my favorite is the piece of music that comes at the end of return of the Jedi. Um, and it's not because I hate Yubnub. It's just this one was so much more perfect. Like Yubnub is fun. It's great. Like it's a good time. But there's something about that victory celebration that they gave us, um, you know, in 97 with the special editions that are just like, oh, this is perfect. Yeah. And when you're when you're looking at the other images of the galaxy, you know, Yubnub seems a little small. Yeah. So. Just an opinion. Now, if you stayed on Endor, Yubnub would be perfectly fine. But you're not. Right. So <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'm sorry. I did not intend to get into a discussion on Yubnub um, in the middle of our poll. But our top two vote getters here, far and above everything else. Um, in second place with eight votes is the Sail Barge Assault slash Return of the Jedi um, is the, the name of the track on some of the other soundtracks. But the the build up to the Sarlacc pit duel and everything, amazing stuff. Um, but it comes at, as no surprise to me that number one, with nine votes, barely eking out a win here, is the Luke versus Vader duel where the choir comes in. Oh yeah, it's it's quite good. <laughs> 
so great. And uh, that's where so, your vote went. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> um, of course. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just love it with that with that choir, and it's I you know I always some I always sometimes that doesn't even make sense. Um, <laughs> you know the thing is is uh, when I think of the original trilogy, the first time I think of a choir is the Emperor's theme, and then this particular moment in Return of the Jedi. Although I always forget that in um, Empire Strikes Back, we do get those really high, you know, uh, siren calls when they're approaching Cloud City. Um, right. And while it is a choir in a way, it's not quite the same. But yeah, it's just it's just this such a like powerful, iconic moment where things just really get really dramatic and really epic, really fast. And just the choir just makes it so chilling and exciting. It just draws you right in. Oh, yeah. And especially uh, when you've got the knowledge of what Anakin has go- has gone through and how Anakin fell, that moment as Luke gives in to his anger to attack Vader scares you a little bit. Yeah, and this music really helps play up on those that those concerns. So, absolutely, absolutely. it's great stuff. It really is. So yeah. I am I am quite pleased to say the least. <laughs> so there you have it folks there is our uh our poll results and uh stick around to the end of the show and i think we'll have a matchup for you indeed we will <laughs> um jason yes carl we were talking before the episode about how hard it was to come up with a list for this film yeah, it really was. Um, and you're going like, what? But you love it so much. Yes, I love The Phantom Menace so much as kind of a whole that it's hard for me to pick out favorite moments. There's not much about this movie that I don't you know, dislike or kind of go, eh, about. It's just such a good solid hole that I it's really difficult for me to, to pick and choose. So it's probably one of the, the most difficult top five lists I've ever had to make. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's, you know, they, yeah, that's exactly what we were talking about is I, I just love this movie from start to finish. It's such a good whole story to me that it is kind of hard to pick out those moments. Um, whereas I think of a movie like Attack of the Clones, um, which is very long and drawn out, it's easy for me to pick moments from that film that I really, really love. But Phantom Menace, it's just so tough. And he, I was saying even the same in a way for me for Empire Strikes Back, which eventually we will get to. Um, it's hard to pick out those individual moments because it's just such a good whole story, in my opinion. So it was difficult. And, you know, when, when we when we first started chatting tonight, I said to you, uh, I was like, Jason, do you have any honorable mentions? You're like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I had five. But obviously, <laughs> I, I definitely weeded it down to our typical two. Um, so be that as it may, since, you know, obviously you and I both, Jason, have a lot to talk about tonight. We should probably hop right in. Uh, yeah, no, this, this is going to be... Uh... If we don't jump in now, who knows how long this episode could go. Right. And, <laughs> you know, what I was going to do was, like, queue up all the clips and stuff. But just for the sake of time, I'm not going to bother pulling up the clips um, because it just it just takes a little too much time. And um, so, yeah, there, there won't be any clips, unfortunately. But <laughs> um, I think that'll be okay. So, Jason, do you want to kick, kick the party off or shall I? Oh, I'll go ahead and do it. Do it up. All right. 
Uh, my first honorable mention is not exactly a moment. I kind of cheated a little bit. Um, it's a ship. And it's the Naboo Starfighter. That's not even I, remotely a moment, but okay. <laughs> I know it's not. I cheated. I cheated. I told you I cheated. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I just love the Naboo Starfighter. And this is the movie where it was, you know, introduced and the action it, it sees in the battle over Naboo. Um, I do like the space battle over Naboo. Uh, it's not nearly as good as the Return of the Jedi one, but it's quite fun. Um, I don't know. I just I just wanted to to mention the Naboo Starfighter, and I'll get that honorable mention over real quick. Um, but, <laughs> but I really wanted to put it in here, so I did. Hey, you know, I mean, you're a host. Do what you want. <laughs> yep, I am the podcast. Not yet. <laughs> it's, it's treason. Then. It's the Naboo Starfighter. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, Jason, I do have an, a, a moment, um, although, like you, I cheated a little as well, because um, mm. I kind of strung three of them together. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a little bit easier paring it down from 10. No, I'm kidding. But they're, they're, all, like, they're all really closely in conjunction with another. Um, and I'm, I'm calling this the swim to Autogunga and then the audience with Boss Nass. Um, oh, excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Excuse me. The swim to Autoganga is just beautiful. Like, I don't have a lot to say beyond the fact that it's just beautiful. The music in that moment and then as they, you know, clear that bluff and just you see this beautiful expanse of this underwater bubble city. It's so cool. So, so cool. Yeah. And just the other night I rewatched the uh, interview that George Lucas had with Bill Moyers right before Phantom Menace came out. And he was talking about, you know, because... Bill Moyers asked me, you know, where'd you have the idea to make this kind of underwater city, blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, you know, we, we've done, you know, stuff in the desert. We've done stuff in, in the sky with Cloud City. You know, the one place we haven't really done anything is under the water. So um, I love, you know, just where that concept even came from. It looks great. And then when they actually get inside, I love the moment with Boss Nass, right? They're, 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 they're trying to get him to help the Naboo. And Obi-Wan is, you know, he points out that they're this symbiote, you know, they're a, a symbiote circle. You know, what, what happens to one of you will affect the other. You must understand this. Uh, we son Karen about a Naboo. Then you're going to speed us on our way. We second to speed use our way. We could use a transport. We suck if you unabongo. The speediest way to the Naboo is going through. The planet core now go. Thank you for your help. We leave in peace. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. There we go. We don't need clips. Um, no. <laughs> so the thing I really like with, with Obi-Wan is it shows that he is very much a Jedi kind of in his, in his own stature, even though he is the apprentice, he is not quite a knight. Um, he certainly has a, you know, a very good grasp on the way life works, the way the world works. Um, and I just think it's very interesting, though, that Boss Nass is just so darn arrogant, so darn cemented in his ways of hating this other group that he's completely incapable of understanding the reality of what's at stake. Um, and and not to make this too close to home, but it's it's so similar to what happens so much in our own political discourse today 
or something as real as like, I don't know, global warming. And you still have people that just literally say it's not real. I mean, how do you convince them that something that's so in your face real is real? It's it's so frustrating. And that's the thing I really appreciate about Obi-Wan is I think he is just like Obi-Wan is a bit of an arrogant character himself, I think, in this film. Right. Like he he grew up on Coruscant. He's a you know well-educated, well traveled Jedi Knight. So probably in his mind right here, he's just thinking this is just some, you know, dummy redneck who doesn't seem to get it. Um, So in some ways, Obi-Wan's approach is also equally arrogant because he's not willing to meet Boss Nass where he is. But it's just it's this great little moment between these two. And what I really love about Qui-Gon then is Qui-Gon just sees, all right, there's this guy is not going to help us. I'm not I'm done wasting our time. So he uses force persuasion. And right, like in a way, force persuasion, we've always seen in the past in films, right? Like we see it in A New Hope. We see it in Return of the Jedi. And it's used kind of against an enemy, right? Obi-Wan uses it against stormtroopers. Luke uses it against um, Bib Fortuna. Um, So it's always used to kind of manipulate um, villainous characters. Qui-Gon's not necessarily manipulating a villain here, but he's just... Right. Like he's he's just doing what he needs to do, like in a way using the force in this way is a little bit dark sidey. I mean, I'm not it's certainly not the dark side. It's a little dark sidey, though, in the sense of like, you know, I'm just going to persuade this guy to do what I want him to do. But at the end of the day, it's a good purpose because Qui-Gon understands like, okay, we just need to get moving that we need to we need to move on. But before they even leave, Qui-Gon's not done. Qui-Gon recognizes value in Jar Jar and it's so important. Like so many people loved Qui-Gon in this film, but hated Jar Jar. And it's like, you don't get it. Then you don't understand Qui-Gon if you hate Jar Jar. Um, and I remember this, you know, at this awesome panel, I heard at celebration six that I believe Brian Young ran from full of Sith and Brian Young basically said, Jar Jar is supposed to be annoying. He is supposed to be kind of this nuisance character, but the challenge is, is can you be like Qui-Gon and still recognize that he's valuable, that he has a purpose and that he's a person. Um, and that's the thing I love. Like Qui Gon still recognizes that Jar Jar is, is someone of value and frees him. Um, yeah. So it's it's just there's so much great stuff compacted into this little moment. Yeah. No. Th- this was this is a a moment, particularly the, the swim down that I was considering putting on my list. So I'm glad you mentioned it. But I mean, obviously, I enjoy this scene because I'm able to quote it back to front as we just did. <laughs> um, but yeah. No. It it it, it highlights a clash of cultures and uh, a, a culture that doesn't necessarily want the help the Jedi are there to offer, you know, and it, it shows the differences there and how the Jedi have to then engage or not engage with the Gungans because if they don't want their help, well, they can't force it. Right. Um, even if it is in their best interest to accept the help. Um, but, the Gungans are a proud race and need a little bit more convincing as we will later see, but it's a great scene. And I love the fact that you tied in the, the freedom of Jar Jar and, yeah. and he uses, he uses Qui-Gon does the, the Gungans own beliefs right. in order to free Jar Jar and says, well, your gods demand that his life belongs to me now, you know, Binks, Binks. you saw of the live play with the sin, he sin. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Be gone with him. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. So. All right. 
I don't have anything more to say about that one. Should we move on to our second honorable mention? Let's do it. All right. This one is actually a moment. Um, it's a scene. Uh, it's going to be Duel of the Fates. What? Um, yeah. I know. Okay. I was a little surprised that it ended up down here, too. <laughs> That's fine, but what? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I, I love Duel of the Fates. It is an amazing lightsaber duel. I love the end battle sequences of this movie, but it's hard for me to pick moments out of it because I love it as a whole. And I think the Phantom Menace battle sequences are about as perfectly balanced between the three um, battlegrounds as you can get. And the only movie that does it better is return of the Jedi. Mm. Um, you know, the, the duel between the Jedi and Darth Maul, the space battle, the land battle, the p- battle in the palace. I guess there's four battlegrounds in this one. Um, and the only movie that I think does a better job at balancing through the editing and the storytelling, all the different battle sequences is return of the Jedi. Um, that being said, Duel of Fates, probably my favorite part of this end battle sequence. And so I um, I wanted to highlight that because otherwise I would just say the entire last 20 minutes of the movie and that's kind of cheating. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so I like Duel of the Fates because it is the, the first real confrontation and recognition that the Jedi have of an enemy mm-hmm. lurking out there, an enemy in the Sith, you know, and obviously it's a, it's a fantastic duel between these individuals as well, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul and the, the drama that happens between the three of them without a word, hardly being spoken is amazing. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so I, I'm going to just sort of stick with the beginning part of this duel because I figure you'll probably have some more to talk about the end of the duel later. Um, uh, but, uh, it's not on my list. Um, really? <laughs> Didn't make it. <laughs> wow. That's fun. <laughs> Obviously, I lie. Of course you did. Um, <laughs> lies better than Palpatine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to stick with the beginning part of this duel, the, the introduction of Darth Maul, the, the entrance of Darth Maul, I should say, with the music, the horn blasts as the doors open, and then we'll handle this. And just the, the confrontation and the clash of heroes that happens. Yeah. And I love, I love the whole sequence in the, the hangar and you know as it goes into the power stations and stuff. But I, the whole sequence is amazing. Agreed. But... Um, but it is part of a greater favorite of mine, which is the last 20 minutes of the movie, but I can't <laughs> put that in this list. So I'm highlighting a moment. Um, <laughs> so there you Fair go. Enough. So there you go. Um, if I could, that would like be my number one. So the whole end portion of this movie, but like I said, cheating. Yes. So, well, all right. Yeah, I'm obviously going to hold comments. Um, yeah, so my next honorable mention is kind of the opening scene with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Um, I have a bad feeling about this. 
I don't sense anything. It's not about the mission, Master. It's something elsewhere. Elusive. Don't center on your anxieties, everyone. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. But Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future. But not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force, my young Padawan. Yes, Master. Perfect. See, we don't need clips, Jason. We don't need <laughs> clips. We can quote this entire movie back to front. Hell yeah, we can. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've always loved this part of the movie um, for the obvious reason of this movie essentially opens with them talking about the force, like, you know, immediately hops right into the mythology of Star Wars, which is obviously my favorite part of Star Wars. Um and it's a it's a beautiful like master apprentice moment between these two characters. It's very clear who is the master and who is the apprentice. Um, the movie starts with a teaching point, and you have a character who is, you know, a, a, like wary and for this sense of you know something ominous in in the grander scheme of things. But you have then a character who's all about focusing on the now. Keep your focus here and now, where it belongs, and. You know, it perfectly contrasts these two characters throughout the film. Um, Obi-Wan is always and only really looking at the big picture, whereas Qui-Gon is looking at, you know, immediate moments and seeing the goodness in those moments. Um, and, you know, using Star Wars language, even though it's not, I mean, yes, the living force is referred to here. The cosmic force is not. But Obi-Wan is essentially focused on the cosmic force, this bigger picture. Um, and as we know from, especially with what we've gotten in Clone Wars, Qui-Gon is a character who's very focused on the living force. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I love this moment that right off the bat, you have a master teaching his apprentice and encouraging him to stay present to the moment because that's where you'll be most effective. Yeah, no, it's a great scene. Um, I, I enjoy it. It's a great introduction to the fact that, you know, to Obi-Wan um, and the fact that, you know, he's a character who, for those of us who saw the original trilogy first, know him as the mentor, know him as the one who has the answers. And here we see immediately he's the student still. Yeah. He's still not there yet. Um, and we, we also see that Qui-Gon is someone who is very different in the way he looks at things. Um, and we later find out that it's because Qui-Gon is a maverick. Um, and that Obi-Wan is the, this dick in the mud by the book kind of Jedi. Um, although that changes over time. Um, but I, I love it because it's a great introduction and, and this movie is, a, is full of introductions. Um, not only four characters in the Phantom Menace, but four characters in the saga as a whole. And it does a really great job of, of doing that. So it's a good scene. Yeah. Very good scene. Yeah. Um, so I believe we're in to top five now. Yes. Top five. My <laughs> number five. Uh, Augie's Grand Municipal Band. Um, I, I love this moment. It's a great piece of music. It's a fun parade. I can't help but grin like an idiot every time it comes on. You know, I from from everything the the happiness of the celebration, seeing the Jedi there, seeing Jar Jar get his foot caught in the saddle in in the stirrup, you know, as he hops down, uh, seeing the union of the Naboo and the Gungans as allies, um, 
Anakin and his Jedi haircut. Uh, all of it. I, I love the whole thing, you know. It, and, of course, in the middle of it all is Palpatine. Um, While it's technically his theme plane, too. It, exactly. Just in a major key. Exactly. So it's a, such a well-crafted scene, you know, to, on the surface, give you the joy and the excitement and the happiness and the thrill of victory. Um, but for those paying attention and looking beneath the, you know, below the surface and behind the scenes of it all, it's setting up what's about to happen moving forward. And I, I love this scene. And like I said, it's just a fun scene because I grin like an idiot every time it comes on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, closing scenes of Star Wars are, are, are such powerful moments in the films. Um, yes. You know, and, and, they, and they're almost always, well, they are always driven by music, right? It's the yes. perfect marriage of what Star Wars was always intended to be, a silent film, right? Where mm-hmm. the music, visually we're showing you stuff, but mu- the music is what informs the feel, the emotion of everything. And like you said, Jason, I'm with you. It's, it's not on my list, but this moment always makes me grin like an idiot. Um, it's so perfect. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just such a, it's such a great ending of the film because it's so fun and happy and joyful. And like you said, I mean, you see the union now of the Naboo and the Gungans, which by the way, I always love that in the clone wars, we see that they are still working together. Right. So, and that's 10 to 12 years later and they're still right. This union wasn't just superficial for the sake of like, all right, our, you know, our economy, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's no longer the enemy of my enemy. This is my friend. Period. Right. Um, but like you said, this is actually kind of perfect because it, it works really well with the moment I was just talking about. So the movie begins with this sense of ominous feeling, right? There's something bigger right. lurking behind the scenes. And the movie ends in this state of joy, but we know what's going on beneath the scenes, right? And right. now, to be fair, I never knew this until David Collins mentioned it on Star Wars Oxygen. I never knew that Augie's Grand Municipal Band is the emperor theme, but just in a major key. I never right. knew that. I wouldn't have known that had David Collins not told us. Um, but so even the closing moments, even though it's, it's perceived as a moment of joy, there's something lurking underneath. Uh, right. So it, it's so great because it just, from start to finish, this movie is about the Phantom Menace. And even in right. victory, there is defeat. Exactly. So, and that's what exactly. the story of the prequels is. It's so. genius. Yeah. It's geniusly put together and, you know, only people as creative geniuses like George Lucas and John Williams could have collaborated in a way to make that as perfect as it was. Good old George. Thank you, George. Good old George. Thanks. Good thanks, old George. George and John. Johnny as George Johnny. calls him. <laughs> George and Johnny. I wonder if John Williams ever was referred to George as baby. George, baby. Why don't we... Uh, uh, I'd Maybe. Yeah, I'd be really Maybe. curious. Um, it's possible. But, yeah, great moment. Great moment, Jason. Thank you. What's your number five? Uh, my number five is Qui-Gon defying the council in order to train Anakin. So it's, mm. I love this moment. You know, it's it's nighttime now on Curtisant. We're back to the temple. Anakin has had his, you know, um, he's been tested. So, you know, it starts with Kiri Mundi saying the force is strong with him. He is to be trained then? No. He will not be trained. No. 
He's too old. He's too old. He is the chosen one. You must understand it. Cloud at this boy's future is. <laughs> I will train him then. I take Anakin as my Padawan loader. An apprentice. An apprentice? You have, Qui-Gon. Impossible to take a second. The code forbids it. Everything I love about that scene right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's great because I love how shocked Qui-Gon is um, by this decision by the council. Like, no. Yeah. You know, I mean, Qui-Gon firmly believes, and this is why I love Qui-Gon Jinn, I think why so many of us love Qui-Gon Jinn, Qui-Gon is someone who just has such a deep faith in the Force, and yeah. everything about him is about this faith in the Force. And, you know, we it's not on my list, and it might be on yours, Jason, but the, just a quick callback, though, to that beautiful moment between him and Obi-Wan with the sun setting on Coruscant, and, he's talk, and Obi-Wan says, you know, if you'd only go along with them, you'd be on the council. Um, Qui-Gon doesn't care about power and prestige. He doesn't care about making a name for himself. All Qui-Gon cares about is doing the will of the Force. And right. as he told Yoda earlier, you know, finding him was the will of the Force. I have no doubt of that. Um, you know, so for Obi-Wan to bring Anakin there, he feels like he's done his part, right? The Force led me to Anakin. This is clearly the chosen one. Um, I bring him now to the council. And they're saying, no, you know what? Well, screw you. I will train him. I'll take him to be right. my Padawan. And they immediately, right, shout down the code. You know, the code forbids it. You know, as a person who's been Catholic my whole life, oh, my God. Oh, it's against canon law. Shut up. I don't care. <laughs> like, I listen to the spirit of God and not the canon law. Um, so all I need is a bishop to hear this, and I'll be without a job. But whatever. I don't care. Um, <laughs> there are no bishops listening to our show. I'm fairly certain. <laughs> um <laughs> But be that as it may, right? Like Qui-Gon is just like, no, I don't care what the code says. I'm going to take Anakin as my Padawan because this is what the will of the Force is. So the thing I respect about Qui-Gon, though, is when they immediately call it out is against, you know, being against the code. Well, Qui-Gon says, well, Obi-Wan is ready to face the trials then, right? And it's kind of a cold moment if you think about it, right? Like he's just yeah. passing Obi-Wan off. And I don't think he means it that way. Certainly not. No. Um, but he's like, well, fine then. Obi-Wan's ready to be a knight. Like, so fine. I'll do what you want. I'll do the code. You know, let Obi-Wan do his trials and be a knight. And now I can train Anakin. And the beautiful thing about that moment in the film is the way Obi-Wan looks at Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon looks at him. Obi-Wan looks at him with such a face of dejection, right? Like, Oh my rejection. Yeah, rejection, thank you. And Qui-Gon's look is also very dismissive. And I don't think it's meant to be like, I hate you, Obi-Wan, know your role. It's more of just like, we'll talk about this later. Right. Um, <laughs> and and I'm sure Qui-Gon immediately knows how hurt Obi-Wan feels. And again, it, it's been a while since I've read the novel, but I always remember this moment standing out to me as well as a couple others in the novel for Phantom Menace, where it just talking about how torn apart Obi-Wan feels by this. Like in one part, he is like, wow, like I'm at least happy. He thinks I'm capable, but right in a way, like a master apprentice relationship, this is like a father figure for you. So this is your father essentially saying, well, I'm done with him. Move, you know, move along. Right. Um, and, and I just love that little moment, that little look between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. And also I want to give a quick shout out to the way, you know, my my only quibble still to this day with Phantom Menace is that they should have cast an older Anakin. Um, it's not because Jake Lloyd's a particularly bad actor. It's just I feel like Anakin 
in Phantom Menace would have just been a far greater character had he been like 16 or above. Um, that's my opinion. But I want to give huge props to Jake Lloyd, the way he glares at Mace Windu in this moment. So like from the very beginning, you know, Anakin just has no respect for Mace Windu, which obviously comes to be a huge sticking point when we get to Revenge of the Sith. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so no, it, yeah. So it, 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 if you go back, rewatch that scene real quick, watch the way like Jake Lloyd. I mean, Jake Lloyd, I'm giving him the props because the way he acts, this is so perfect. He, the way he just like kind of squints his eyes and glares at Mace as Mace continues talking. Like in that moment, Anakin rejects that man. Like, I hate you, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so right. It's no, a it, great moment. It's a great scene. Um, for all the reasons that you, you talked about it, and this is not on my list, but I had considered, you know, some of the council scenes um, to be, you know, part of my list. Um, this is so good because Qui-Gon goes, he, with the intention of Anakin is the chosen one, he's fulfilling this prophecy, which means as the Jedi, it is our responsibility to make sure he is trained well, trained right. And the council is not convinced. Yeah. You know, he is strong in the force. That's for sure. But they're not convinced he's the chosen one. They're like, I mean, probably half of them are, aren't even convinced the prophecy is, is actually ever going to come to pass. Right. Mace Windu looking at you. Um, (laughs) yep. So when Qui-Gon, who is obviously a firm believer in the prophecy of the chosen one walks in with the supposed chosen one in tow and says, well, we're going to train him. Right. And they go, hold on, Qui-Gon, you don't run the show. So, I mean, it's, it's one of these things where Qui-Gon believes so fully that he is following the will of the force. This is what happens when a, (laughs) when a true believer comes up against a bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, Right. And, and, it everything stops. So, um, but Qui-Gon is determined to push his way through it and push his way around it and eventually gets his way anyways. Um, but it is, it is a great scene and it's, it's a fascinating thing that happens between, and you're right. I love the, the, the look Anakin, the, the daggers Anakin shoots into Mace Windu's heart. The Um, the vibro knives. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But the, the, the quick silent interaction that happens between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan is fascinating because not only is Obi-Wan shocked and hurt by the fact that Qui-Gon apparently is just ready to dismiss him. Yeah. He then immediately jumps in when Qui-Gon says he's ready for the trials, you know, Obi-Wan jumps in. I am ready. I am ready to, to, you know, for the trials. And and, and he's backing up his master still. Right. He's still on Qui-Gon's side in this. You know, maybe not with with Anakin, but he's on Qui-Gon's side, you know, in principle. Yeah. And that is a, a fascinating dynamic because he obviously feels somewhat betrayed, but he's still willing to have his master's back. So point. It's a great point. Obi-Wan is always faithful to the master, right? Yes. 
Um, oh, yeah. He's faithful to the bureaucracy in a way that Qui-Gon is certainly not. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Uh, Qui-Gon would rather uh, – I, I think he would be much happier if the Jedi became nomadic samurai um, rather than a bureaucracy. Right. But so. – to to be clear, right? Like it, it's Qui Gon is the Maverick Jedi. He's the yes, you know, he's the free thinker. But at the same time, he's still a Jedi. He still plays yes. by the rules. He's right. He doesn't just like walk off to do or be something else. He stays within the confines, but is happy to let things shift into a gray areas in the way that the bureaucracy is not exactly. Um, and that's the thing, right? Like you know, you think of um. You know, it just like any human institution where you're just like, I don't like this anymore. I'm just going to do my own thing, um, which is fine. But it just kind of chips away at the the goodness of what you have already. And I think that's the thing with Qui-Gon is he understands that while the order is certainly flawed, um, he's not going to just up and leave. Right. Um, right. So that would be an interesting conversation to have at a later date, though, maybe contrasting that with the idea of Luke in Last Jedi. And not to say one is right or wrong necessarily, but just, you know, where Luke is able to look at it and say, this is this system is so flawed, it's time for it to end for something else to come up. But Qui-Gon, who sees its flaws, but sticks with it. Right. Just contrasting that. uh, Yeah. Might be an interesting conversation for a later date. (laughs) (laughs) So. Interesting. Good. Um, Good idea. Um. We're at number four, right? You got that right. All right, number four. Uh, This is a slight cheat. It's a twofer. Um, But the theme of of each of 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 these is the same. So, And they both revolve around the same character. Um, So I call this the Queen's Surprise and Padme's Reveal. Um, The Queen's Surprise is when she's in Palpatine's office and decides that she's not staying on Coruscant. Mm. She's going to go home. And try and free her people. Um, of course, this has been helped along by the discussion she had with Jar Jar. Um, Jar Jar's concern for her, you know, what, you know, Jar Jar's concern for her as she's contemplating the future of her people and her planet. And the revelation that the Gungans have an army. Um, yeah. And so, and, and she's. I love the look when Palpatine comes in and, and he's talking about how he's been nominated to succeed Valorum as Supreme Chancellor. A surprise, to be sure, but a welcome one. And the look Amidala shoots Palpatine is one of, that doesn't seem to believe him. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you're surprised at all. You know, <laughs> this seems rather convenient. Um, so, <laughs> but... But she decides she's going to leave. She's going to go home, going to free her people. And this is a a decision nobody expected her to make. You know, not something Palpatine planned for. He's really good at ad-libbing, though, when it does. Um, and it's not something that the Senate planned for either, because now they got to send the Jedi back with her. Right. You know, so um, it's it's a really great moment because she's finally going to make the decisions herself. She's like, I'm tired of trying to, to work within this system. And when nothing is getting done, I'm going to make something happen now. Who's that? She's much like Qui-Gon. I I was going to say, yeah. Um, And then of course, when they go before the Gungans and the, the handmaidens, uh, Sabe, Padme, Sabe um, is having no success 
in convincing Boss Nas to join them um, as she's pretending to be the queen. Padme steps up and goes, okay, let me take over here and reveals herself to be the rightful queen of Naboo. Um, and the shock and surprise on everyone's face, except Panaka, um, is one of my favorite moments because, you know, Anakin is completely befuddled. Jar Jar can't believe his eyes. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan share a look that are like, how did we not see this? And, you know, Boss Noss ends up being impressed by it. See, the look that the Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon share, I always feel like Qui-Gon knew. Oh. That's the way I've always interpreted. I mean, there's no, it's just my interpretation, but I've always interpreted as Qui-Gon knew. And the way he, the reason he's smiling the way he is, is I think he's very thrilled that Padme broke that cover to show how much she is willing to trust Boss Nass and the Gungans. Um, okay. So that's again, that's my interpretation. I could be completely wrong. There's nothing saying that. But the way Qui-Gon just seems to smile is one of like, he kind of knew this. And well, earlier he even says like, we can't use our powers to help her. Right. This is, if this is, if this union is going to happen, if this, you know, if this um, reconciliation is going to happen, it needs to be upon, it needs to be both parties need to be free to make that decision. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason Qui-Gon is so thrilled there. Um, and it could just be he's also surprised, but just so thrilled that like she's willing to take that step of vulnerability, that step of really trusting them. It could be she's just happy with that. But I always interpret it as like he knew this and he's really pleased that she was willing to have that um, sense of vulnerability. Yeah, that, that that's definitely a, a scene and a look uh, that you could interpret a couple of different ways. That's definitely one of them. And the other you know, thing that makes me think about this is when on Tatooine, Padme is telling Qui-Gon, the queen will not approve. The queen trusts my judgment, young handmaiden. You should too. And that's either he's being, you know, he's telling her, I don't worry, I got this. Or he's prodding her. Right. Trying to, or, you know, or he's prodding her and trying to, to see if she'll, give up the secret you know that's you know that's another scene that you could go either way with that's right. a it's a good point so yeah and it's never ever specifically fleshed out so we don't know if Qui-Gon knows or not right and that's up to to <laughs> figure out for yourself but anyway I love those scenes uh, it, it's such um, you know as Padme takes control of the situation and you know we really begin to see what she's made of and who she ends up being for the rest of the trilogy. Yeah. So those are, those are defining moments for her that will continue to shape the way she does things and the way she operates from now on. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're great moments. Um, yeah, no, not, not on my list, but, uh, yeah, I love the moment when when she decides to go back to Naboo. And the reason I love it so much is because what essentially sparks the idea is Jar Jar. Yes. Right? Um, who's still, in a way, seen as a useless character. Um, you know, and yeah, I love that moment. And I, I remember talking about this a long time ago when we did our top five Jar Jar moments um, with our friend Chris. Um, I love it because Jar Jar has such tremendous pride for his culture. Right, yes. you know, we still got a grand army. You know, that's um, why you're not liking us, music teams. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Jar Jar is just so proud of who they are, 
Um, and I think in a way, maybe two things then go through Padme's head. One is like just the practical sense of, well, hmm, we could probably use this army to liberate our world, but also his pride inspires her own pride and what they, you know, what the Naboo people are and what they've built and all the wonderful things that, you know, both Naboo cultures have cultivated for themselves. And it's like, you know what, this is worth fighting for. Um, right. And, and that's when she makes the decision. So yeah, yeah, it's a great moment. I love it. Yeah. All right. What's your number four? So I want to say this, my number four, three and two are so interchangeable. It was hard to put them into a particular order. So it's just for the heck of it. It could change tomorrow. Um, again, <laughs> it was so hard narrowing down any, you know, so many of these points. But my number four, as it stands right now, is I call Anakin's Wondering at the Stars, right? It's this, uh, this great moment after, you know, um, he gets the, the pod racer to come to life. And, you know, Obi, or Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon is, you know, uh, checking his blood. And, right, it's, it's the first movie of the prequel trilogy. This is the sunset scene for Anakin. He looks up at the, you know, just the infinity of space and the beautiful stars. Um and it, to me, it just represents the infinite possibilities that lay before Anakin and right. You know, I'm going to be the first one to see them all. And this particular moment, I love it musically. I love it visually. I love the conversation that's happening because to me, this is one of those moments that really captures the feel of Phantom Menace, which is that of innocence, right? Yeah. Um, so many people don't like this movie because they're like, Oh, it's just, it's so kitty. And it's like, you know what? Like that's kind of its purpose. It's meant to show the innocence of the galaxy, the goodness, the inherent goodness that existed in the galaxy before the Sith rose to power again. Right. This movie is so important in capturing that. And this is one of those moments that really encapsulates it. So to me, it's a beautiful moment. And um, again, it, it's fine if you don't like this movie, it's fine if you don't like moments like this, but I think when you just miss, just simply dismiss them because they're for children and they're stupid, you're totally missing the point that George is making in the film. Um, yeah. And that's the beauty, right? Like I immediately connect to Anakin because it's like, I know what it was like to be a kid who wanted to be a fireman someday or a astronaut or whatever, right? Fill in the blank of kind of those stereotypical things that a kid dreams of being someday. Um, and this is that moment for Anakin. It's this moment of wonder and awe. And I was also thinking that it's also a moment of wonder and awe for Qui-Gon and what he's blown away with what he's awe filled with is Anakin's midichlorian count, right? So here you have Anakin just dreaming about how great the future could be. And he's just, you know, completely amazed at what could possibly lay out there for him. He goes off to bed and Qui-Gon learns that Anakin has over, you know, 20,000 midichlorians, not even Musta Yoda has a midichlorian count that high. No Jedi has. Um, and for Qui-Gon, it's like, holy crap, who is this person? Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's a great moment because we have both characters completely caught up in wonder and awe about completely different things. Understandably, Anakin is the wonder and awe of a child. Qui-Gon is the wonder and awe of a Jedi master. Um, he is awfully wonderful wonderful that's not a word <laughs> um he is just filled with the sense of awe for who is this boy right um and immediately starts gonna probably clicking together like this is the chosen one this is that 
prophecy we've been hearing about for generations. Um, right. So I just I love that both both characters are caught up in wonder in that moment. So and it just it again just captures the feel of the whole movie to me in in one little moment. So that's my my number four. Yeah. Well, that's a good scene, and it's and it's one of those scenes that makes you makes you really sad for the journey Anakin takes, you know, for the rest of his, the rest of his journey, you know, because it's such, such a, a lovely little moment that he, he has where he's talking about wanting to see all the planets that those, you know, surround each of those stars. And it's such a, a big idealistic, you know, dream, that he has. And now that he's met a Jedi, maybe he'll be able to get off this planet and actually do that, you know? Uh, and it just makes you sad, you know, sometimes when you realize, well, this innocence will come to an end, you know? Yeah. And that, I think that's also one of the things about the Phantom Menace is that while it's beautiful and in, in its innocence, it's also sad when you look at it in, context with the rest of the films right because all that is wonderful and beautiful and innocent dies Mm -hmm. by the end of it right you know whether it's you know the the innocence of the child and anakin the 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 dreams of of a boy who just wants to help people and free the slaves or you know the destruction of a republic while flawed or the jedi while flawed you know the or beauty in the galaxy, you know, it's like, like you would see on Naboo, you know, it, it's all of that ends, you know? Yeah. So it's a little sad. And, and you're right. This scene really catches the flavor of the Phantom Menace in a really profound way. So it's a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Love it too. All right. Number three. Number three. Number three. Um, my number three is the duel in the desert. Nice. I love this duel. The the you know rush to the queen ship to escape Tatooine. The attack of Darth Maul. The music. I love the flipping love the music in this sequence. Um, and it's such a fascinating duel because. It's a bunch of quick cuts and close-ups, and you get bits and pieces of what's going on. And you never really see a full picture except for maybe one or two shots. And then it's like, all you get is swirling robes and blowing sand. and Or you see them really small out of the corner of the viewport of the, the ship. Um, but it's the first confrontation that we get that something is actually after them. That, that, that this moment of you know innocence this moment of perhaps you know victory that hey we've we've got what we need we can leave we can continue this mission is completely shattered right and it completely uh and tells qui-gon in particular there's something bigger out there that we're not seeing and it gives credence to what Obi-Wan says at the beginning of the movie, you know, that he sell, you know, sent something elsewhere, elusive. Well, here it is, you know? <laughs> so the music is great. 
the little we see of the duel is fun. Yeah. Um, it's great music. Sorry. I just felt like queuing it up. <laughs> there you go. Tell them to take off! <laughs> <laughs> Take off. Qui-Gon's in trouble. Take off. Lie low. Lie low. Oh, it's really great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's a quick scene. I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but I, I really love this scene. I, I don't know that it, it just, it's exciting and it resonates with me. So there you go. No, it, it, when I, like I said, I initially had a list of 10 and this was definitely in that list. Um, and the thing I love about it is it's, it does act as kind of like a perfect preview of the duel to come, right? Everything's quick and kind of zoomed in. Um, it's hard to see. It's caught up. And, and I think even the genius of George, the way George chose to shoot that particular uh, short fight is, yes, in a way it is teasing what's going to come. But also it is a bit chaotic. It's messy. It's, 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 it's kind of this whirlwind of chaos, which really illustrates that we don't know what's going on, right? Like, and so at the top of the show, I mean, I played the clip from right after where I love that, how Qui-Gon collapses inside the ship. He's so exhausted. And the thing is, is yeah. And like, you know, you watch the beginning of the film, the way he and Obi-Wan just cut through, you know, battle droids, like their butter. Um, Qui-Gon is certainly a, a, a renowned warrior, but here he is just exhausted from like a one minute fight. Um, you know, like it just totally caught him off guard. And it's 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 a great moment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I love it. Like, Anakin, drop! You know? Uh, so good. Maul was not going to stop. No. We almost had, you know, roadkill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great moment. I'm glad you picked it. I, it, 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 I wanted it to be talked about. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. We, we got to talk about it. So uh, what's your number three? Uh, so my number three is what I'm calling the battle, the battle on the Federation ship, which is again, like the opening battle with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan tearing through those battle droids I just mentioned. Um, <laughs> and the things I, so the things that I really, I love about this fight. Um, I mean, it kicks off in a great way with the fact that you just see lightsabers lighting up amidst all the cloud of, you know, dioxin, dioxin. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, George was always very clear in press releases that he wanted this film to be about showing us the Jedi in their prime. And that's immediately what we get. Um, You know, they just start cutting through these battle droids like they're nothing. And we really do see the Jedi in their prime in action. And um, also, it's the first time we ever see force push. Um, Force push did not exist in the original trilogy. We never see anybody do that. Um not in the right, not in that direct of a way. I guess in a way like no, Vader's not using force push when he's sending those things flying at Luke. That's not force push. Um, so and I, and I always liked that even when it first came out because it just made me think of the um, uh, like the game Jedi Outcast, like one of the Dark Forces games, right? Where that was one of the powers in those video games was the force push. Even though we never see it on films, we heard about it in the books, we heard about it and saw it in the video games. So it was cool that George gave it a film resonance. Like he gave it film credibility by having Obi-Wan do it to push over three battle droids. Um, And if you watch the fighting style specifically of Obi-Wan, it's very 
arts artistic right and and and, you know i've heard some complaints about over the years you know the some of the complaints about the choreography of phantom menace is like oh it's not you know it's not very realistic it's you know it's not practical but i immediately dismiss that because i'm saying no no no. they're jedi knights they are trained to fight as if it's an art form right and it just makes me think of like you know zen buddhist monks who do who train in sword fighting you know it's 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 an art form right it's a way of expressing your identity as a jedi um, so I really like that, that even the way they fight is something stylistically beautiful for these Jedi. Um, and, uh, you know, this whole fight just it really captures the sense of the Jedi at the height of their power and the way they're even respected by their foes. Uh, you know, I love that line where Qui-Gon hears the blast doors closed. That will hold them, you know, and he just thrusts, <laughs> you know, hilt deep into the door. Um they are still coming through. They are still coming through. This is impossible. Right. And and I love that. Like right at the beginning of this film, we see the Jedi, these mythical legend characters who are able to make the impossible possible. Um, and like I said, even their enemies have this great respect for them and the power that they possess. And, I love that we get this, that this is the starting point of the prequel trilogy, because then you can contrast that. If you watch the Clone Wars, right, one of the one of the most powerful themes that we get in the Clone Wars TV series is the decreasing opinion of the Jedi in the galaxy at large. Right. Here are these peacekeepers now generals in a war. What? Like hypocrites. Right. The the respectability of the Jedi is Right. It just they get their respect gets thrown into the dirt because of the Clone Wars. But here in Phantom Menace, we see them at the height of their power. And again, just how much respect everyone has for them, even their enemies. And that's going to come undone because of the Clone Wars, which, again, just it's extremely smart storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a really great scene. And I'm glad you brought it up because, huh? It's my number two. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know? Well, what, what do you know? know? <laughs> That's Attack of the Clones. But, um, no, I call this heyday of the Jedi. This is the Jedi in their prime. This is what the stories were all about. And we get to see an old face, well, an old young face, um, in Obi-Wan, and his master, Qui-Gon, you know, really put on a showcase of what the Jedi are all about. Mm-hmm. What, you know, from the get-go, from from the time they land, they're there as ambassadors. They're there to negotiate. They discuss, you know... Yeah, negotiations seem to have failed, ambassadors. Failed ambassadors. Negotiations never took place. Especially <laughs> when we make contact with the Republic. <laughs> um, but <laughs> negotiations seem to have failed, ambassador. Jason, the way you no. just said that, though, they seem to have failed, Mr. Fibberly. <laughs> failed, failed, failed. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Um, that's that's for Carl. Um, but you know, and then they we also see them discussing the aspects of the Force, like you talked about earlier in one of your honorable mentions. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get what they are capable of when they use the force, use their lightsabers. And this is like the full view of the Jedi in five minutes. This is all you need to know moving forward. Um, how skilled they are, what kind of people they are, that sort of thing. And this is 
exactly what we were supposed to be seeing. This, it is a perfect introduction, I believe, to the Jedi of old. Um, and it is flawless. Flawlessly done, in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, plus we got some fun villains for them to go up against in Battle Droids and Newt Gunray and Rune Haiko, So, which, of course, Newt Gunray and Rune Haiko are some of my favorite characters. I love those two. They're like, they're great. You know, a couple of stooges, um, but they're fantastic. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, I don't know how I managed to forget this, but we see another force power that was made. Um, big for speed for speed, which was huge again in those uh, like uh, Jedi Academy video games. Oh, um, yeah. So I remember that. Just sound off. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I remember I remember talking to friends going, oh, my gosh, they just went so fast. How they do that? And I was like, what do you mean? You don't know it's it's a four speed. Yeah. What? Yeah. So <laughs> I remember talking to people about that back in the day. They just shot on some Red Bulls. Right, exactly. <laughs> Red Bull gives you wings. That's not an endorsement. We're just having fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has nothing to do with Red Bull services. <laughs> that is true. Um, but it's a fantastic scene. I love it. It's it's awesome action, um, but it really gives you the look of of what the Jedi should be. Because then we'll get a look at what the Jedi have become as we get into the bureaucracy of the council uh, later on. But I love it. It's perfect. It's a perfect introduction, in my opinion, of the heyday of the Jedi, the Jedi in their prime. So it's why it's my number two. So, yeah, so many, so many of my moments, even some of the ones I had to cut from my list come from act one of Phantom Menace act one. My favorite act one of any of the Star Wars films is definitely Phantom Menace. Um, some of the other films have a bit of slower starts. Phantom Menace to me is just like the perfectly paced act one of a Star Wars film. So I, I just I love the opening like half hour, 40 minutes of this movie. Not that I dislike it after that, but it's just it's just so good to me. Yeah, no, it's really good. So. Um, I, I have a blast with this movie every time, every time, every time. Yes, I do. Every time. Every yes, time. I do. Every time. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, well, my number two, which I have a feeling will be potentially your number one. Um, I could be wrong, but is, um, saying goodbye to Shmi. Um, oh, it's such a good scene, but no. Oh, I'm okay. Now I'm very intrigued. But anyway, yeah, okay. So let me unpack this. Why I love it so much. Um, okay. At the end of the day, the reason I love it so much is because it's. It, I love it when I watch a Star Wars movie and I and I really feel something. Um, I'm an emotive person, so I like feeling things. Um, and this is the this is the pinnacle of moment in Phantom Menace where I really am moved. Um, and again, it's aided a lot by the the music specifically. Uh, but the scene is so big, again, because of Shmi. And by the way, I loved your little uh, mini episode on Shmi last week on our on our Patreon. Great, great stuff there. Um, and uh, Shmi's lesson to Anakin, you know, her, her final teaching, if you will, to Anakin is don't look back. And... Yeah. Right, what she's saying to him is 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 keep your focus on what's ahead, what you long for, not on what you're leaving behind. Um, and as I was making that little note to, uh, this morning while I was putting some, you know, putting my thoughts together, 
I just I was like, ooh, look at me. I'm like Rose 2.0. Rose is all about you know, <laughs> you know, we'll win by you know saving what we love, not fighting what we hate. You know, um, and to me, it's like focus on what's ahead and what you long for, not on what you're leaving behind, right? Um, and unfortunately, Anakin's never really able to do that. Um, and this is the most traumatic event in Anakin's life, which makes sense. I mean, this is a young boy. Um, you know, he's nine, ten years old. Who's in, in his entire life has been connected to his mother. So saying goodbye mm-hmm. to her, I mean, this is the first moment in Anakin's fall to the dark side, if you think about it, because yeah. it becomes the fear that undergirds everything that he acts out on in Revenge of the Sith. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just I love this mo- this this moment. And like I said, you know, the music, it's 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 my favorite rendition i think I, I i it very well may be my favorite rendition of the force theme and in, in all of the films so far um i mean it's rivaled very closely with with it in last jedi for sure um but i love just the way the force theme plays as anakin shoulders his backpack and leaves without looking back um and again i love the theme of this scene it, it indicates that anakin is moving forward with the force that's why the force theme is playing even though it's a hard choice right mm-hmm. and you know, as a as a person of faith, sometimes what God asks of us is not easy, but it's what's best for us. Sometimes what the force asks of you, what the force compels of you, it's certainly not the easy choice, but it's the necessary choice. It's the best choice for you. Um, yeah. So it, it just, you know, it, it, it that's a it's a beautiful theme and in, in, in Star Wars in general, not just the Phantom Menace, but this theme that sometimes what the force asks of characters is going to be very difficult. But it's what's best for both them and the galaxy at large. Although I guess you could say maybe it's not with Anakin. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I'm of the opinion that one one thing, this is a little bit of a tangent, so I apologize. And I'd love for you to weigh in on it, Jason. But okay. um, one the one thing I never liked that they did in Clone Wars, both in the Tarakoski series as well as, you know, the regular long series um, and I understand why they did it, because we obviously know what's going to become of Anakin. But those moments where Anakin has visions of the future and he sees himself very tangibly as Darth Vader, I always hated that because it takes away the agency with which Anakin falls. Right. Um, so what I'm trying to say, so as a th- so as a theological concept, for instance, I don't believe as a, a person of faith, I don't believe that there's some big book in heaven where all of our lives are planned out because that's literally not free will. Um, so I don't believe that at all. I believe that God invites us into wonderful, amazing things and then responds to the choices we make. So if we choose no, God will try something else to get us to do something great. If you say no again, right? It's just, it's this constant back and forth because that's free will. What is not free will is a predicted path for all of eternity. That's not free will at all. Um, so I think the same is true in Star Wars. I don't think that the right, you know, because it's easy to say, well, like, oh, geez, Qui-Gon made a horrible choice by bringing Anakin back. No, I think genuinely in the moment, this was the best decision. This is what the force wanted. Anakin is indeed the chosen one. But then he becomes corrupted. Right. So just because you're the chosen one doesn't make you infallible. Um, and I think that makes it even better. So this is a great, beautiful moment. Again, the force theme really captures that. Anakin's making the hard choice, but the right choice. Unfortunately, I think the biggest downfall for Anakin is losing Qui-Gon. Yeah. Well, if Qui-Gon was Anakin's master, 
as what had as what was originally planned, Vader probably would not have existed. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just be perfectly honest. And I agree. You know, from your theological perspective, I'm in total agreement with you. Yeah. While <laughs> God is omnipotent, all knowing, He knows the choices that we are going to be making because He is God. But he still gives us the ability to make those choices. Um, and we're able to, you know, and he's able to, to work with us in that. He also knows every possibility of every choice that we may ever, ever make and how that all plays together. Um, that's, I saying that just to agree with you, but, <laughs> uh, but yes, no, it, the choices Anakin makes to fall to the dark side could have been stopped at just about every point on that journey, except the final, the final choice when he decides to cut down Mace Windu and pledge himself to Palpatine. Mm -hmm. He could have turned from that path at any time before then. It was possible he didn't believe he had the choice to do that, the ability to do that, which is where the problem was, which is why Palpatine got in his head in order to make him think that he couldn't uh, choose something else. But, um, yeah, so that's my thoughts on your tangent. Back to your <laughs> scene. Yeah. Um, I love this scene. The scene is so beautiful. It's sad. It gets me every time. At the minimum, I get chills every time it happens when the music swells and she tells Anakin not to look back. And we get the final shot of her standing there by herself, you know, hugging herself. It's so beautifully done because it's a bright, sunny day. There's children laughing in the streets. And there is this moment that is tearing this woman apart, but she's making the right decision for her son for his future in in encouraging him to go pursue this dream of being a Jedi mm-hmm. because he would not have had this opportunity otherwise. This, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and if he doesn't take this decision, it passes him by and nothing changes. Right. And he stays on Tatooine a slave. Well, technically he's freed, but he would still be living with a mother who was a slave. Yep. Which is... Just about the same thing. Right. So um, it's the only way she saw a future for her son. She let him make the choice, but she really encouraged him to make the choice he did. Yeah. Because he, she knew the way she raised him, he knew what the right choice was. Yep. She just made sure he acted on it. Right. <laughs> right. And it's a beautiful scene. I love it. And it's one of the most powerful scenes from the film. So, and you're right. For those who are wondering, um, I did post my, you know, Wampus at Background Spotlight episode all about Shmi for our Patreon uh, supporters uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I called Shmi the most underrated character in Star Wars. Yeah, she's great. So, um, yeah, I love her. And this is probably my favorite Shmi Skywalker moment. Yeah. That's great. Good pick. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Me too. 
I really thought it. I thought it'd be on your list. So, I so it now, wasn't. I'm so intrigued with what your number one is. Um, it's going to be one that nobody will think of until I say it, and they'll be go. They'll go. Oh, of course, it's Jason. Um, the escape from Naboo, the introduction of R two D two. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that wouldn't even be in my like top thirty of this movie. <laughs> Please continue. That's why R2 I love is doing my the show favorite with you. character in all of Star Wars. Everybody knows this. Art I've talked about before. R two's the biggest hero in all of Star Wars. He saves our heroes so many times. Um, and I'm I'm starting to get a little annoyed that they're not using him too much in the sequel trilogy, um, but. Hopefully he'll have a little bit more to do in episode nine. Um, that being said, th- this is the introduction of R2 and, and for nothing else than it's the introduction of my favorite character in all of star Wars. Is this my favorite? I, I to be perfectly honest that drives this, this pick. Um, I think the sequence is a fun sequence um, as they, you know, try and, and race their way through the blockade. It's a tense moment. The music is exciting. Um, but everything comes down to the work of one heroic little droid. Without a doubt, save the ship as well as our lives. Um, <laughs> and R2 is the snarky, sassy droid that, you know, beeps something probably inappropriate at Jar Jar on his way out the door to uh, do his job and rescue everybody. Um, and without R2, everything would have been over. It had blowed up right over the, the blockade. I think it's a fun sequence. And I like, I also like seeing R2 starting in a job that he was actually designed to do mm. because he completely exceeds his job requirements everywhere else. Mm. He's not doing his quote unquote job in many other cases. And we actually see that he started, you know, as a pit, you know, as a pit crew, essentially for this ship. Um, and that's what kind of got him on his way. Yeah. I don't know. I, everyone's rolling their eyes. I know they are. <laughs> I don't care. Good. Archie's my favorite. And, and this is, it, it's his introduction and he's a special droid. Um, and so, that's why this is my favorite scene in the Phantom Menace. Own it. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> and my favorite part in that scene is just, hello, boyos. Hello, boyos. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I think that might be my favorite Jar Jar line. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally get why this would. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm still surprised it's your favorite. I could definitely see it in your top five. Um, but hey, I get it. That's so cool. Um, well, to be perfectly honest, there's a whole bunch of stuff that could be completely jumbled next time I make my top five Phantom Menace list. Sure. Um, to be perfectly honest, Phantom Menace, like I said, very difficult for me to pick favorites out yeah. of this movie. So if I made this list in six months, it could look completely different. So I will I will put that out there. Yeah. No, I, this is a great sequence. It's it like I said, I mean it wouldn't be anywhere on my list. Um not because I dislike it, it's just not a scene that it particularly jumps out at me. Um, but yeah, uh, 
great pick. I don't have I don't have really anything to add. So <laughs> I, I didn't expect you to. I am way too much invested in R two D two. I freely admit that, and that's why this scene hey, is is on my list and it. as high as it is. I love it. <laughs> um, what well, can you guess? What my number one is? Uh, well, you mentioned that you were going to reserve comment about it earlier, so by process of elimination, it must be Duel of the Fates. <laughs> it is, and I am cheating a little bit. It's the entire duel. I don't care. <laughs> <There's> not, <laughs> I mean, probably my favorite moment of it is like the last part when when Obi Wan just rushes headlong out of the you know to like take on Maul. That is probably mm-hmm. the highlight of the fight for me. But it's just the whole damn thing. I can't really narrow it down. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it. To be completely honest, one, I mean, we've talked about it as nauseum over the years anyway but it's just so fun it's my favorite fight sequence in all of star wars um the the praetorian duel in last jedi certainly came to rival it but it it just it's not going to be better anytime soon in my book um it's just great i mean it is the classic battle of the fates right it's the heroes versus the villains it's the jedi versus the sith and all that that means, and it's 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 a great fight choreography wise. It just looks beautiful. Both both villain and hero are fighting again, like an artistic form of fighting. Um, I do, I do, I've really come to like I really appreciate the fighting style that we've gotten in Force Awakens and Last Jedi. It is a little bit more brute force. It is a little bit more pragmatic. Um, by Revenge of the Sith, uh, Nick Gillard, I felt like they could have probably gotten a new stunt director by that point because I, I don't think the fights in Revenge of the Sith are that great because there's just too many and they're too over the top. Um, while they're fine, none of none of the lightsaber fights in Revenge of the Sith are my favorite. None of them. Not even the epic duel. Like It's not close to my favorite. Um, so, But Phantom Menace is perfect. It's exactly what we wanted. It's Jedi fighting in their prime, fighting a Sith in his prime, and it's just so much fun. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I I mean, I guess I could go into the intricacies of it, but I'm not going to just because we've been going for a while as it is. Um, I just love that fight. It's so good. I, I mean, I still so many times will just get chills while watching that fight. And specifically the moment that I always get chills at is – Right after Anakin blasts off, you know, into in the Naboo fighter, you know, you know, um, try to override it, and he puts the helmet on off into the clouds, and then it's just that faraway shot of them fighting in the hangar with the you know duel of the fates music cueing in, and I love like Qui Gon gets kicked down, and then Maul uses the Force to throw a battle droid body to open the door. Obi Wan's just coming at him with like a sense of cockiness in his step. I just oh, it's just such a great moment. Yeah, no, it is a great duel. That's a great moment. Um, the whole thing is fantastic. Um, there's a reason why when people talk about favorite lightsaber battles, this is always near the top of people's lists. Yeah, I won't say everybody's list, but right. most people's lists. Um, and I think it's one of the, the biggest differences that sets this duel apart is that just about every other duel we get has a level of personal, uh, attachment, personal investment to it. Mm-hmm. This is about as broad a scope as you can get. Right. This is classic good versus classic evil. This is the defining 
example of Jedi versus Sith. Yeah. Um, and it stands alone in to as, as a as a duel that reflects that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's a fantastic scene. I'm not surprised it's your number one at all. Um, and it should rightly so be a number one pick because I I did not go anywhere near that for my number one. Yeah, no, I love it, but it's great. I love this movie. I do too. I think I might go watch it again. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I watched it twice in the last couple of days. So I'm <laughs> preparing for this. Yeah, I, I watched it over the weekend. Preparing I did the entire, I, for this episode. Yeah. Well, fingers. to be fair, I like I said to you um, over the weekend for you know Star Wars Day on last Friday. Um, I, I watched Attack of the Clones that day. Then I watched Force Awakens with some friends that night. And then on Revenge of the Sith, I was like, of course I'm going to watch Revenge of the, you know, for Revenge of the Sith. Uh, so for Saturday, I watched uh, Revenge of the Sith. And I was like, well, I can't not watch Phantom Menace. So I watched Phantom Menace Sunday night. <laughs> so it was great. Absolutely wonderful. Um, Excellent. But but yeah, there you go. There you, you have our top five slash seven uh, moments from <laughs> Phantom Menace. And as always, like we encourage you when we, you know, we post the episode, please share uh, in comment section, whatever social media, you know, let us know some of your favorite moments from Phantom Menace, especially if we missed one that you really love that we didn't talk about on the episode. We'd love to hear some of your favorite moments in this film. Yeah, no, definitely. This is a this is such an uh, fantastic movie, especially for us, um, that we, you know, as you can tell, we love sharing our enjoyment of this movie. Um, if you're not a fan of The Phantom Menace, that's fine. Come back next episode. But I feel like you're really missing out because we have a lot of fun with this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie so much. <laughs> so good to me. It's, it's so good. All right. Well, Carl. We have a fun matchup. That's right, we do. To end this episode. Sure and do. Of course, in keeping with the theme, it has to be Phantom Menace related. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Carl, you picked a matchup of captains? That's right. It appears. It's the Battle of the Captains. A red group, Which blue captain, group, everybody this way. <laughs> everybody this way. Yeah. Um, Captain Panaka? We got Captain Panaka taking on Nogin Jaja. You start going to the bosses. You start in big doo-doo this time. That's, that's right, everybody. Captain Panaka versus Captain Tarples. Uh, yeah. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot wait to see what people pick for this matchup. This Me is going to be so much fun. Agreed. So. Yeah, so please participate in this one. If you don't normally, please participate. Let us know if you think Panaka or Tarples takes the day. Yes. And be be more we're, we're more than willing for you to give your reasons as to why because honestly, sometimes the reasons why people pick things more entertaining than the results that we end up getting for the uh the poll the the, the matchup. So, make it funny. Make it good. <laughs> we laugh even if we don't get to read all of them. So, um, <laughs> and Carl, if people want to weigh in on this matchup or weigh in on some of their favorite moments from the Phantom Menace or anything else, where can they do that, my friend? Oh, well, of course they can do it on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at Wampaslayer. 
Our email is wampuslerpodcast at gmail.com. And as we've alluded to a few times in this episode, if you'd like to check out some of our weekly mini episodes available for just a dollar on Patreon, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wampuslerpodcast. Excellent. Anything else you got, Carl? Uh, you the point is well said. This way. <laughs> Hurry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. It's been episode number 281, Top 5 The Phantom Menace Moments. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.